This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Queenstown by Alexa Forbes. Alexa is a colleague of ours at Capable, and for some crazy reason, she insists on putting herself up to be on the regional council. Yep. Kia ora. How are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm very well indeed. This is our New Year's Eve Eve show. Yeah, that's lovely. And uh, let's hope that, well, let's not hope anything for 2023 because 2022 has been a bit mad, as was 21 before it and 20 before that. It was. I think that, have, have we gotten fed up with of thinking that we're going to return to business as usual? Or as, do you think people have gotten over that? I know that, I know that we might have done because we've been talking no. about VUCA and volatile yep. worlds and things for a long time, but have we gotten there yet? I don't think so. No, and I wish we would. I'm really quite over people thinking, well, people just going back to business as usual and just kicking can down road. Exactly. That, so how's your, yeah. how has your year been? It's, it's flashed by. That's the one thing that really happened is it seems to have just disappeared. And it's been uh, quite hectically busy, so not a lot of time for reflection. It was election year, and yes, I put myself up for election. In March, I decided I wasn't going to stand again, and then by April I was. And <laughs> and there, there we go. Well, there was, um, I, I do remember quite a detailed discussion with you about March, it must have been then, <laughs> the reasons why you weren't standing. I wasn't going to stand again. And then there was actually a bit of discussion among the uh, more environmentally minded councillors, and it turned out that all three of us weren't going to stand again. And that seemed just a bit over the top. (laughs) That's a high-risk (laughs) manoeuvre. That was a high-risk manoeuvre for people who care long-term about the fate of the rivers and the soils and the air and the rush back to business as usual. So um, the three of us kind of discussed this and thought, well, guess we'll have to all stand again. Can't have all three of us drop out, so we'll all stand again, and uh, we need to find some others to stand with us which we had a little bit to do with and helped where we could and ended up with a a different council, which is an interesting and I think a much better council. No matter what your political stripes, you have to think this council has more chance of doing what what it says on the box (laughs) than the last one did. Is it the first 
progressive come environmental council that the regional councils had? As far as I know. I mean, some there may be people that can call in and slap me for that because I don't really know. But as far in, in my memory and as far as I know, yes. And uh, my cursory look, which many will disagree with, is that the uh, Otago Regional Council hasn't really done anything over its 30 years of existence, or extremely little. And, you know, people never noticed the ORC and the rates bill was so low that nobody noticed that either. And the reason the rates bill was really low was nothing was being done. So there was no need to collect much in the way of rates. And, of course, everyone's noticed it scream up. It was gone up 58% in the last three years for on average for most people but you're actually getting something done now so while people might be screaming about their rates they should be starting to notice some uh, really good work going on and things actually starting to happen so that's awesome. What should people be noticing? They should be noticing really good science available to them if they want it um, they should be noticing things like uh, eDNA being used to monitor pest control things in places like in the uh, Southern Lake Sanctuary, you know, right up the top in this area of the region, being able to, instead of just hope that your pest numbers are going down, you can test water and see if they're there. Uh, and that, that technology wasn't available to us a few years ago. Uh, if they're interested, you could look at the Tyree scroll plane and actually realise that there's more than a thousand wetlands in there. It's not just one entity, it's a thousand. Uh, you'll see work on um, climate climate change and you'd be able to find a climate action plan now that, uh, not an action plan, sorry, a climate, a carbon measurement um, scenario. We actually have knowledge around uh, what our GHGs are and particularly carbon and what's going on. Um, I'm not going to mention buses. I'm sure you will, so I'll leave that to you. <laughs> We're doing our best there, but it's not marvellous. That, I hope, is going to get better in the next three. So those things are starting. People should be starting to notice that. Um, community groups uh, who work in catchment areas and in restoration areas should be starting to notice that they're getting the support they need some of it financial and and a lot of it and knowledge being able to actually call somebody and somebody actually answer the phone and give them a kind of a scientist person to talk to to say how you should plant things or whatever <laughs> so you actually might get uh, find you might notice those sorts of things is what you notice you might in in your eco um, schools and your eco person that goes around the uh, you know, Enviro schools, um, they're a, bit, a little better resourced. And so things like that are starting to happen. And if you ring up and complain about something, somebody might actually have a look for you, which possibly didn't happen so often 10 years ago. Maybe you didn't even know the phone number 10 years ago. All those things, I know the phone number, for all mm -hmm. those things, I used to work there, <laughs> all, those, <laughs> all those things sound so positive and obvious. Why has it taken so long? I don't think anybody was committed to investing in them. I, I think that's probably it. And there was, oh, it's, um, people might beat me up for this and I might be a bit biased and, and have a wrong view. So I'm happy to be um, challenged on it. But I think it was really being run by the farmers for the farmers and they kind of figured stuff out themselves. And they did 
Yeah, catchment groups worked really well. If the people at the top of the catchment knew the people at the bottom of the catchment weren't didn't have enough water, they'd probably dial back theirs to make sure that a certain amount of water stayed in the river and a certain amount of water got to everybody and everybody kind of kept going. But uh, whatever systems were in place, and, you know, um, probably the territorial authorities pretty much did what they thought was right and they, nobody really monitored too much to see if they had sewage overflows or anything like that. So um, so those sorts of things, uh, it just kind of went along in its own pace and nobody did a whole lot and people didn't rock boats and they just carried on. But now, now we're seeing um, a lot more degradation and the public's really interested in that degradation. We've also seen, actually started with the last government, with the John Key government, bringing in our freshwater management plan, um, plans and uh, environment statements, policy statements, and they um, had Tamana Otawai, for example, was brought in, which put the health of the water first in about 2014, that, that came in. And then nobody really did anything about that. Then the Labour government came in and suddenly cracked down on it and said, it's law, get implementing, please. And so that's changed everything. And then, of course, a month after I was elected, our second council meeting, I think, and we got the skeleton report into fresh water. And, yeah, so things turned very quickly and we had a please explain letter from the minister, uh, David Parker, and get on with it and change things and get moving. Basically a really big kick up bottom. And our chair of the time uh, was um, the lovely, uh, the wonderful Honourable Marion Hobbs, who uh, I learned a lot from and found her pretty amazing sort of person with a lot of knowledge. And uh, then we kicked her out a few months later because people didn't like what she was saying or what she was doing. And that left about three of us on that council really struggling to try and implement some of these things and with a bunch of people that weren't really interested in that implementation. That said... That was problematic around the fresh water because they, we couldn't find the common ground that we needed to move forward. But we did move forward on other things. The, the whole council, uh, it's been portrayed as the whole council being a disaster. It wasn't really. There was a lot of things that were quite quite progressive and we were sort of getting there. But this new council feels to me like it's got a lot more hope and a lot more uh uh, cohesion, and we're, we're appoint in the in the process of appointing a new CE at the moment, so that's going to be really big as well as as to how how th that person will have a big influence. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Conan Moccasin with Momos. Why this one? Well, this is when um, right before lockdown, or it might have been yeah, but then there was Mother's Day, and my son gave me a fabulous playlist for uh, Mother's Day, and then he got back about three days before um, uh, lockdown from. Well, he was back in that three days that they gave everyone to get home. He was living in Japan and he came home and lived with us for, during lockdown, which was great. And then after that, we ended up with his girlfriend and another. 23-year-old. So we had this household of three 23-year-olds, my partner and me, and all of us sort of living here in, in this one house playing Catan every night to the soundtrack. And Conan Moccasin, I, I really liked his work. And I first saw his him in concert with Neil Finn. And I chose him for this song because 
I love the style of music, this nutty experimentation that a lot of that 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 a lot of young musicians now have. And I love how Neil Finn, who I went to school with, um, Neil Finn, when he travelled to New Zealand about 2014 or something, and he brought all these young musicians with him, and Conan Moccasin was one of them. And he was absolutely brilliant. And I just it, it makes me think about we we often produce these really clever, wonderful people in New Zealand that come from this mad land that we we are in and they don't get famous here they they just don't it's not until they get famous overseas and and, and conan moccasin is famous overseas and maybe he's pretty well known in new zealand now but he's still pretty fringy but uh, so that's why why this music and i just really like the way this song is
Alexa, when I last saw you in person, at least, because we're so used to having meetings on various digital devices, we were in Wanganui at Piwaka Waka Farm. Wasn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it was. that was a trip, that little wee moment in time, wasn't it? Sort of separated from everything else on the planet, it seemed. So this is a group of about eight people who are in their late 20s, getting on for 30, who have crowdsourced buying a farm. Um, yes. And it not just – and what what surprised me is that they weren't turning it into – they weren't setting up a hippie commune. They're setting up a real point of change, a point of leverage for a really wide area. I know. Incredible, incredible people. And uh, people like that and, of course, my beautiful son and many other young people I know and young people I work with as lear- uh, with them as learners and me as a learner too, frankly, uh, it gives uh, just such hope for the future when you see, uh, you know, you hear people criticising this, this next generation. I suppose that's as old as the, the world is. But um, these people are truly amazing. And we kind of met a lot of them, Sam, um, as we worked together on the degree pathway that they were taking. And you designed that degree mostly, didn't you? Mm-hmm. A few others? Yeah, Leadership it's, for Change. Yeah. yeah. And so a couple of them came through there, some of them through the professional practice suite, the grad dip professional practice, um, which was uh, sustainable practice in those days, which uh, a couple of them came through there. And I think you're facilitating a doctorate with one of them. And, I am. And there was an MPP learner that I facilitated in there. So really some um, really amazing people who've been through through their own initiative and then through finding us and the support that we've been able to give them with their education have just gone forward with uh, really interesting left field ideas full of solutions for the future that they're experimenting with and they crowdfunded enough money to buy a farm to put together a learning environment, which they call it the learning environment, which is very different from a lot of names they could have called it, so that's amazing, Uh, and a place where people can actually experience learning from the land and from other people as well. But basically it's learning from Mother Nature, isn't it, is what they're trying to do, and reconnect people. And they've clearly identified a set of um, impact areas that are using the farm, but its impact across the whole community and across the whole region and, and beyond. Well, that is that is the work that we insist on. With I, I'm, I'm not taking any credit for what they've done for, for us or our degrees. But I think that what we were able to do was to facilitate them to say, yeah, that's going to, that's, that works. You must have impact. There's no point in going and doing a professional practice degree or a leadership for change degree or a sustainability degree if you're not going to communicate that and have impact. Otherwise, why would you? Frankly, it's not about individual edification. So, and, and I think that they, they, they had that probably in their uh, DNA before they came to us, but we were able to help and support and just, Say yeah, that's a great box. We can hold it for you while you play, and <laughs> and and work out how what you're going to do. And and of course they've ended up teaching us a huge amount as they've gone forward. What do you think that we can learn, or perhaps the rest of 
society can learn from what they're doing about how they're going about enabling change? Yeah, good question. <laughs> should never say that. That's a really bad thing to say, but it buys you time to think about it. Right, they have they uh, have clicked into this idea of connection and they have professionalised that so that everything is connected. Everything is about connection, connection and embodiment. And if that is the key to really open learning, I think that's probably an answer, an answer to that, Sam. There's probably a million. What are your thoughts on it? I think that the approach that they're taking to applying a regenerative version of sustainability to be a positive thing. So it's not, they're not treating that as a, you know, you, you mustn't do this and you must stop driving your car type thing. It's, this is, we're having a, we're having a great time working extremely hard, but demonstrating that having this impact can have a better life. The, the, the things that they're doing have got impacts in multiple areas. So they haven't got a permaculture garden for the sake of having a permaculture garden. They're supplying food to the low decile schools. They're selling food at the um, at the market. farmers market. They're using that to to write a whole Kaiora strategy for the for the region. They've got people, young offender type groups coming out and working in the garden. And if they enjoy doing that, then they move them into like real jobs in their nursery because they're supplying hundred thousand or whatever it is seedlings to the to the whole of the, the Wanganui um, regeneration. So the fact that it's, maybe it's the same thing as that connection, but it's not just connection to people, but they're seeing Oh no. That these yeah. things are these things are connected. Well, the metaphor that one of those people has used from the moment he started working in in these areas, uh, the moment I I met him and had his, uh, facilitated some of his work, he always used the metaphor of a river and all its tributaries. And then, of course, it goes down and the, the journey of the river, and of course, it comes out to a delta with many many tributaries as well. Tributaries as well. So. And that impacts everything. So everything is connected and every part of the system has to be thought about. He's a brilliant systems thinker. And so you've got all the system that feeds in. The entire catchment is a system. And there's systems within systems. And then the riverway itself is a system. And it comes out to deltas, which all have their own systems. So there's combinations of systems. And he has this way of seeing that picture, that complete holistic picture he can't hold it all himself obviously but he but that's that's his way of seeing things and I think he has brought with him people that also see things that way and frankly that's I don't think that I see things as clearly as he does but that's the same thinking that I bring to my work on a, on the regional council as seeing Otago not as all these different regions and areas and towns and urban versus rural and all the rest of it it is these catchments, these interrelated catchments that all end up in these great main stem rivers, particularly the Clutha, but you know, there's a lot of them. And um, so these and that's that systems thinking is super, super important. The problem with some of these systems thinkers is that they need, myself included, is that 
to attend to the detail can be quite difficult. But this person manages to do that as well. He calls it site um, inspecting and aspecting. So you're looking, you know, you come and scream right into the detail and then you zoom right out into the great big picture. And I think that's what they see up there. And they're attending to the pieces that they need to and can as they can and as the environment allows. You know, because the environment, and I'm not talking just the natural environment, every part of the environment, the financial environment, the social environment, the governance environment, all of these things shift and change. And they have a knack or have a framework for attending to the parts of it that they need to at any given time. So they have to have their fingers in all those pies to have that impact. And that's what drives impact because, okay, Today, it's worthwhile dealing with corrections and bringing those people onto the land and you enable their connections with the land. Um, tomorrow, it's uh, important to bring the school kids in or whatever. The next day, you might need to get to the market with these things. So they manage all of this stuff at once. And one of their very big frustrations is that other people don't see that system. So often, they, you know, one of the things they do is also rent the place out as a venue or not so much there's not actually a venue there, but the people can come onto the land and have a day there experiencing things. But that experience might be just around pest control. So instead of being able to connect the people who are learning about pest control to the land, uh, they are supposed to just teach the poisons that you use or whatever, or the traps or whatever, when in fact their vision would be much more to connect those people to the land so that you'd manage the pests in ways that were appropriate for any particular environment they went into. Could you imagine a future where the crowd from the learning environment were all sitting around a regional council table? And, oh, how, yeah. would it, and how would it be different? I don't think that's terribly far away. I think eventually if we the regional councils hold their place and we don't know what will happen under local government reform, but that's the sort of people that should be sitting around a regional council table. It's the environmental council. It is responsible for maintaining the environment and not a single bottom line should be allowed to shift, but we're allowing degradation. And we will allow degradation until we put people around that table who see things entirely holistically and who will not think about um, the economy. It's not our job to think about the economy. It's our job to think about the water and the soil and the air. Actually, I think economy does come somewhere down in there, but. <laughs> it's quite it is and but I do see a day and and I mean when I say that ignoring economics and, and of course we don't and nor do they they operate very efficiently within the current economic system and uh, yeah I think we have a lot to learn at a regional council about about the way that they do things and I actually think that we have a lot of staff and people around the table that they may not see things as clearly or work as well together. And remember the other thing around the regional, a regional council table is you've got 12 people with entirely different backgrounds, entirely different opinions, different places on the political spectrum, different biases, and all of us have that. And so um, finding ways to work together when you haven't chosen the people you're working with, and of course the advantage of uh, the learning environment people is they've chosen each other, you know. Uh, you don't get to do that when you sit when you're elected. And that's a quite a big lesson. <laughs> if if we were to get 
Dave, Emma, Jules, Cam, to write a strategy, the, the water strategy, for example, or a plan, and it was to come back, do you reckon you'd have any chance of getting it across, getting it passed? Yes, but I suspect if they wrote a water plan, it may not be very different from the one that we wrote. Our staff come to those conclusions. But then getting your ratepayers to be ready to implement it is a different story. So I don't think we lack the expertise um, behind our doors. Uh, I suspect that we're in a political situation where um, people don't necessarily, you know, the, the people who are voting don't necessarily want to see that work done. It's and not remember, just a, all of that happens at the pleasure of the people. Yeah, it's not just expertise, though, is it? It's vision and passion and belief. I think we've got a lot more of that than we used to have. And uh, particularly since we've had um, Kaitahu around the table, it's kind of unleashed a bit of passion in the staff teams, as it does. You know, people, I, I don't know this for sure. It'd be a very interesting thing to ask um, staff there, but I have seen that, seen people uh, become really quite passionate about, uh, they, you know, you don't go and study ecological science and environmental science to go and, pillage a waterway it's not what you do so the, and, and so when people have to have qualified in these things and they end up in the bureaucracy and then things become you know they get their passion gets pretty squashed and but i think now i think that's changing i really hope so you know maybe i'm just a pollyanna but i i really do think it is changing and i see some amazing work from from the staff which is really passionate but doesn't go very far sometimes Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orakanui, Dinan's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, namaki arohanui, kia koutou kotahoho. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. And I really hope, wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustainable. And illuminating for you more and more each day who you are the triumph of nature's art perfect unique and here making things better thank you now i know that for us all the last few years have been very tough and we are all supporting one another through this time of recovery and recalibration and we're so lucky of course as a species we innately possess these skills to nurture and to care for and to heal together throughout these difficult times. And we also, of course, possess incredible skills in terms of our capability to learn and to adapt and to do things in new, innovative ways. And that is also a very beautiful part of this whole adventure that we've been having. I know for myself, I've had so many changes in my life and I find myself now really grateful for the support that surrounds me as I journey through long COVID recovery and I've been loving going to the St Clair hot salt water pool every day and doing my 40 lengths, going to bar base and really re-establishing and really enjoying that reconnection 
with my ho'ora tinana, my physical health and well-being. And of course, as we know, all roads start with the body and being able to really focus on that healing process is such a gift and such a privilege. So thank you all. Thank you to Sam and the whole Blown Bubbles team for having me. Very grateful to be where I am as I move through. And I really hope for you in your process of recovery, you are getting the support and the help that you need and you're finding really nourishing ways of doing, being, seeing, feeling that work really well for you. And here we find ourselves about to embark on a whole new year. And of course, this year can be whatever we want it to be. We have that ability to choose how we respond to the circumstances of our lives. We have that ability to go within and find different aspects of ourselves to come to the fore and to assist us as we navigate new landscapes as they appear. I know for myself this year has been filled with so many mountaintops and valleys to traverse and I've been very grateful for that capacity that we have to share and communicate with one another and to advise and to guide one another based on our life experience. And of course I've been thinking that What a gift it would be and what a beautiful, creative project it would be for all of us to write the story of our lives or stories of our life if everybody was asked to do this. And of course you could share your story however you wanted to with song and and with art and however you wanted to. And of course many of us are consciously doing this. I'm sure all of us are subconsciously or unconsciously doing it but it's something that I'm excited for in 2023 to really begin to focus on those stories that I would like to share and they may even just be shared with me but I was very lucky that I met a beautiful couple and had this conversation with them and this is a process they are embarking on and I was very inspired So I really hope for you, whatever creative adventures are awaiting you, sparking this fire in your heart, you can begin them in 2023. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Alexa Forbes. What does New Year look like in the Forbes household? Oh, it's always chaos. Uh, we've got, uh, we'll be all getting together this year in Nelson for Christmas. And then my sister and I are heading up to, uh, where are we heading to? We're heading up to the Bay of Islands to spend um, New Year's with a bunch of people up on a beach somewhere in our tents. Which I'm sure will be fun. It'll probably rain. That's not normally what happens, isn't it? <laughs> and after, after New Year, what does, the, what does 2023 look like? Well, it's going to be really busy again. It will be um, ORC is going to be really busy. We've got this land and water plan to deliver, and that's been a fascinating thing over the last few months, the last three months. We've had many, many community meetings, maybe 30. We call them FMUs, the Freshwater Management Unit meetings. So we've gone out 
and had these meetings with people and sat around tables and talked to them. And then we've had several uh, stakeholder full day meetings. One I was in, was it yesterday? I think it was on Monday, uh, which was uh, the well, Friday, last Friday, had the farmers, the farm management um, systems. So you can imagine that was quite lively. And then on Monday, on Monday this week, we had one around um, managing stormwater, wastewater, septic tanks, things like that. And so people come in and just talk to us. So we've, I've spent three months listening rather than talking, Sam. Not been my strong point in the past, but getting better at it and just uh, really quite incredible just incredible hearing what people have to say what they want to see happen and how they think we might get there and we've never done this before as a council and so it's been really massive engagement and we didn't go out with exactly a blank sheet we went out with a lot of research and science but we didn't prescribe a way forward so it's been fascinating to hear what people think what they want and I think our plan's going to be quite amazing it's the first one off the blocks in the whole country and yeah that's where I've seen the passion of staff just calling it the land and water plan suggests more of a shift to a systems way of thinking absolutely it's so much more a shift to a systems way of thinking if it had air in there as well (laughs) <laughs> Maybe a step too far just now, but it is exactly land and water plan. So we uh, that recognises officially that the water is impacted by the land activity. Hallelujah, and some of that connection that's needed. So yeah, that's that's and those community meetings have been amazing, and uh, definitely my views. Some views have shifted and changed and been beaten up views you know so it's been fascinating three months of doing that but I'm really tired because it has been a long period and we're going back into it so the next round of consultation starts in March February March next year and that will and our staff are getting really tired too they everybody just needs a break right now because we've just been going at this for so long and unlike most of the councils in New Zealand we didn't take the election break usually there's a break in decision making throughout the election but because of this land and water plan and because David Parker has insisted we deliver it by next December we kept working right through and having to make decisions so so it was uh, pretty fascinating, and there we are. In terms of sitting there listening, there must be times when you're saying, that is such a good idea, I'm writing that down. Is that how it goes? Absolutely. Yeah, and you're going to ask me what some of the big ideas are. Oh, i got one for you. Um, I don't know. I can't, it might be hard for me to explain it. Sedim, a sediment trapping system that a young farmer from the Tyree had produced, and he, he showed me this photo of it. Uh, this, this little video of these sediment traps where he'd um, dug this whole area and done it. And I said, well, what happens? And, and, and it was beautiful. And the water coming into it was really brown and full of sediment. The water going out of it was completely clear, beautiful. And I thought, oh, goodness, that's pretty good. I said, well, what happens when you get a big storm and it scours out? He says it doesn't. The way the thing's designed is it doesn't scour, that the sediment settles and becomes a new baseline. And you can't obviously have it in a steep area, but on a reasonably flat part of um, a drainage system, you can make that work. And I thought that was a really cool idea. And then the worrying thing happened. He said, that's against the rules at the moment. (laughs) So... There was an idea, but, you know, so so people are thinking about things and they're coming up with things and they're doing things. And, you know, I've got a lot of sympathy for um, a, 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 the position that a lot of farmers find themselves in. 
you know, beef and lamb, man, it's, it's, it's a tricky world out there for farming at the moment. And But there's a big percentage of them that are trying to make this work. My concern, going back to where we started, is that there's a desire to return to business as usual through advancing technology. There, I don't see a desire to change that business as usual, to find a new way. And that, to me, is a real nub of a problem because you've got people feeling really, really beaten up because they're doing business as usual in the best possible way and really trying but people like me still aren't convinced. And that's I, and I found that really problematic because people like me are going, well, actually, we're probably going to have to find another way because, you know, you might be getting really efficient and be able to put that bit of drop of water where that blade of grass needs it and waste nothing. But is this the right way? And there's people like Mike Joy and now Hugh Campbell's joined in on that argument saying that, intensifying farming isn't actually the best thing we can be doing, even if you're just looking at it from a profit perspective. No, exactly. Even from that perspective, it's not the best way to do things. But isn't this so often the case that even when the profit model doesn't stack up, because it's business as usual, we cling on to it with our fingernails sliding down the, um, the the cliff face as we fall off into the abyss. <laughs> you know? And I think that's happening. You know. Do you think that there are any game changers out there? I mean, trying to avoid what Susan Crumdike talks about, the, the green, the myth, the sort of the miracle around the corner. The, the thing that's always, that's been rattling around in my head since I first heard about it is the the model in at least some parts of Sweden where the you can take water out of a river so long as you put it back again upstream of where you've taken it from. I've, I've heard that's, – that's something I heard too on in this last few months. It might have been from you but maybe from someone else. I really liked that idea. That was, that was a pretty – that's a pretty interesting way of doing things, that any yeah. runoff has to go in upstream of where your take is. I wonder how that would change things. But I actually suspect – in some parts, at least, the catchment groups in Otago, and I can't speak for anywhere else, seem to make sure or do their best to make sure the next people down the catchment are getting good water. They do seem to work together on that. But if they are working together regeneratively, using that term, it's quite a scary term to use, of course, the water at the bottom of the catchment would be better than the water at the top of the catchment, but that's not the case. The water at the bottom of the catchment is is highly degraded. And, you know, in the Clutha, 100% of its rivers are degraded, are below bottom lines. That's a big job. That has to happen by law. have to lift them all above the the national bottom lines. So this exciting work has to be done. Let's avoid doing that for a little bit by playing the second of your music choices. Cosima, close to you. Why this one? Yes. Again, it came from that uh, lockdown playlist, my Mother's Day playlist, that, and we all absolutely loved it. And I just adore her voice. She's, it's like a, you know, I've, I've spent my youth in the 1980s, my, you know, misspent part of my youth traveling around the world. And that Sade, Tracy Chapman, um, crooning voice, fabulous crooning. But then she's got this epic range. 
And the way, and, and this song is acapella, uh, pretty much a cappella. I think it's completely a cappella. I don't think there's any instruments in it at all. And her range and the way she sings is just magnificent. The lyrics are lovely. Yeah, it's just a, 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 a close to you sort of love song, which is all very nice. But the way her her voice is like, it's like a body. It's it's like a shimmering body. It's just incredible. So I absolutely love that. And I just adore um, hearing, uh, you know, I love music and I have very eclectic tastes that go all over the place. But she's just beautiful. So that's why I've got that. Someone tender. And you were someone to end the show you've had them for but we're going to go through them anyway quickly what is the biggest success you've had in the last year or so well I suppose getting re-elected was a big success because many of my platforms aren't exactly popular so clearly people are still willing to vote for somebody like me that's not necessarily going to help their bank balance what's your superpower this one was a hard one, but maybe age, <laughs> getting old and being able to see things differently, getting old, but still having a, a very playful mindset. So do you consider yourself to be an activist? Oh, yes, I do now. I, last time you asked me that, I thought maybe, but I didn't consider myself that, but maybe I was one. And now definitely, yes. What's changed? Or is it just how you're thinking about it? It's how I'm thinking about it and realising it's different from how most people think, think about things, which I probably didn't realise that my thinking was different from most people's. That goes back to the superpower of age. Nice to see that as a superpower. It's a good superpower that everybody, at least most people, will develop all by themselves. We don't need to educate to that capability. We don't need to educate. What we do need to educate, though, is to maintain the playfulness and connection that doesn't allow anything to solidify into hard, rigid places. So it's only a superpower, so we better qualify the superpower by, by uh, saying that it can't be rigid. It's got to be fluid and flowing, again, like that river. It's just more of, um, I'm at the delta stage of my life, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a broad, expansive delta at that. <laughs> Find yeah, let's that. not get the diggers in to to, <laughs> to open up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. 
So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? I just like being alive. And every day above ground is a good one. It's you know it's it's it's, it's worth being there. And uh, there might not be so many days left once you're over sixty. You kind of go, oh well, there might be twenty years. There might be two. I guess that's always true. But uh, I I do I just enjoy um, being part of it. I love my 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 two jobs. I really enjoy them both, and I feel very very lucky. You know, I have kind of landed myself in a position which I'm happy and can do what I want. So that's good. So what challenge or opportunity are you looking forward to in the next year or so? The challenge and the opportunity are usually the same thing for me, and I think this is too. And that is to uh, enable others to to take a more systemic view of the world and to see things, to, to enable them to see things in a different perspective so that allow us as governors and I work pretty well with most of the governors of all stripes, and this is what I like about being older and being a bit relaxed in your, in, in, in your mindset, is you can work with people no matter what they think. You can listen to them whatever they think, and, and you don't get upset by what their perspective is. And the challenge is to try and help them be a bit more systemic in their view. And so, yeah, and 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 for me to be more systemic in mine as well, yeah, I don't know. Challenges to bring people with us, and I think that if 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 what I hope for this council is comes to pass, that it is going to be a really good council, the challenge is going to be to bring people with us and to convince people to invest in the sort of work that we do as ratepayers. And or big challenge, public transport. I didn't even I bring it up. See, I, I was know, very good. I'm, I'm just bringing up it as a challenge. To, um, and, and can I just put a pitch out there for people that have kind of, you know, given up on um, on work, called retired or something? Wouldn't they love to be a bus driver? I'm sure I can find someone to sponsor their their special licenses and things. And I, I hear it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I didn't mention the fact that my bus has been cancelled for something like 63 days in a row. Oh, I know. See, I, I didn't know. even mention it. No, you didn't even mention it. But uh, so bus bus transport's a real challenge and investment's not the only thing it needs. There's a lot more that it needs. And I don't quite know how we get there. But what we have done is set, set up, and I'm very proud of this because this is a big success in the last year, is to set up a, a standing committee of the council purely focused on public and active transport. I'm really pleased with that. So we get a chance to look at that transport network as a whole, including active. I think that it, I think that if we get past the fact that something weird has gone on, that there's no bus drivers. Yeah. Except on cruise ship days, apparently. The the the, the buses are working. Like it, it's, it, it is actually a a much better system than we've had before. It'll be a good system. As if we can if we can get those drivers in place and that that is a short term problem and it's going to get better because all these people that are listening today are going to go oh, I could do four hours a day driving a bus and if, I can, if, if she can find me someone to pay for my licenses I could quite like to do that give me a call I'll be in but anyway so that's all that but um we can I think once we get over that challenge we will have a a bus system that's going to be worthy and we will connect it in with an active system which will make which might actually finally show the benefits and challenge the private car as the dominant system. Yeah, that's my big hope. Let's hope for that. Motivation. Oh, it might Last- be my miracle. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, now that's a question for the for Sustainable Lens, not for this one. 
Lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Open your minds and hearts to younger people and uh, believe in them and what they can do, even though it'd be very different and challenge everything you think. I guess that's it. And also, try your bus out. Try to commit to maybe one or two days a week of, of getting about in another way than your car, just leaving the car at home. I know that's hard for some people. That's so for some. If it's hard, don't do it. But if you can, because I tell you what, my bike, which I, I started out on about six or seven years ago and sold my car about four years ago, and I just got a brand new electric bike. But anyway, um, it, it's still just an absolute joy to get on. I get on, I feel like a child again. It's another way of staying young. Get on a bike. It does pose a problem with the staying young and the superpower of ageing. But we'll ignore that, shall we? <laughs> Alexa, no, thank you. I, 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 can work, I, I can work through that one for you if you want, but we've run out of time today. <laughs> thank you very much for joining me. We, I was lining up to go out to Mungo Jerry in the summertime, but maybe Neil Finn... Stormy weather at 57 Mount Pleasant Street. Well, it's the same room, but everything's different. You can find the sleep, but not the dream. Things ain't cooking in my kitchen. Strange affliction washed over me. In the Roman Empire Couldn't conquer the blue sky There's a small boat made of China It's going nowhere on the mantle You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic, which is brought to you by Tipu Kanga. 
We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin. I've been joined today by Alexa Forbes in Queenstown. So for the last time in 2022 on New Year's Eve Eve, you've been listening to Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.